Hello, Pastor Matt here. At New Life Baptist Church, we are pleased to be able to make these resources available to the public. Our desire is that these online resources or any other resources you find online would never be used to replace you joyfully belonging to a local church body, but rather that they would be supplemental for your walk with Christ. I pray that through this sermon, the word of the living God would stir your affections for Christ, strengthen your commitment to him, and broaden your understanding of who he is. Peter, we are still in chapter 1. The title of today's sermon is Joy in the Midst of Trials. If you would, let's go ahead and stand once again as we read God's word together. This is the word of the living God. In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you all honor and glory and praise this morning. We pray that you have received our worship and song to you. There was a sweet aroma before you this morning. Lord, I pray that as we open this word, that you would open our hearts, that our hearts would lay bare before you who examines hearts. Lord, that you would reveal in us what needs to go, that you would strengthen the weak parts of our heart, that you would soften the hard parts of our heart, and that you would break hard, stony hearts this morning and then mend broken hearts. Lord, I pray that as we consider having joy in the midst of trials, Lord, this is an unthinkable thing to believe, much less to live. But Lord, I pray that you would empower us, that you would empower by your spirit the preaching of your word, and that you would empower the receiving of your word, that we may live this out to your glory. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. We are in the series, Faithful Sojourners, Walking Worthy in a Wayward World. John Bunyan, an old Puritan, once said, It is said that in some countries, trees will grow, but will bear no fruit, because there is no winter there. What a bizarre Thing to be true. We think of fruit being born out of a tree, and we think of water and sunlight and rain, uh, 
the cultivating of the ground. Rarely ever do we think of winter in the process of a tree bearing fruit. But it's true, apple, peach, blueberries, cherries, they all, refer to, they all require what is referred to as a chilling period. They need hundreds of hours, actually, in colder temperatures so that they can prepare to bear fruit again in the spring. As many of us are complaining and groaning in the midst of the winter months, except for me, of course, I'm praising God. (laughs) But as many are complaining and grumbling over the winter months and the cold and the ice, God has designed that this in his wisdom and in his sovereignty to benefit these trees that they might grow fruit in their season. Without the winter, they would not bear fruit. Real, genuine faith bears fruit, doesn't it? And just like these fruit trees, our faith needs a winter. Our faith needs the difficult seasons. Our faith, as we see here, requires trial and testing. As we look at our text today, that's what we will be considering, is the fruit that is born in the midst of trial is joy. In this you rejoice, Peter writes. I want you to notice back at verse 3, he introduced this whole section by praising God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an opening of praise as he's writing to people who are in the midst of suffering. Peter sets the tone by praising God and brings it back again and almost as if to say, okay, now it's your turn. In this, you rejoice. Peter has displayed what it looks like. Peter, as you know, would go on to be crucified upside down for the faith. And it's that Peter who's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this now, you rejoice. This is pointing us back to the contents of verses 3 through 5 that we looked at last week, that we have a living hope, that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do we need any more reason to praise? You want the answer to how could Peter possibly write in this? You rejoice, though now for a little while you're experiencing trials. How can he say that? Because you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I am so convinced that if Christians would grab hold of this truth, Nothing in this world would ever take you down. Nothing would be able to steal your joy. 
Because I could always look back and say, hold on a second. Has Jesus Christ been resurrected from the dead? Yes, he has. That will never not be true. He has been resurrected. He is alive right now. And as much as he is alive, your joy can be alive in the midst of trials. In your chilling period. This is what Peter is pointing us back to. Joy in the midst of trials. We can rejoice in the reality of our salvation. We can cling to the promise of our guaranteed inheritance. We can rest assured that God's power is what keeps us, not our own. How counterintuitive to the natural mind our faith is. We're told that the way up is down. The way to life is to die. And we see here that we rejoice even though we are grieved by trials. In other words, be happy even though you're sad. Well, hold on a second. Remember, Peter is writing this because these Christians that he's writing to are either soon to experience persecution or they currently are experiencing persecution. Not to mention the various other trials that they would face that aren't related to persecution. Sickness, pain, hurt, all of the various things that we suffer in a world riddled by sin. He's reminding them that no matter what's going on around them, even if it's causing them great grief, they rejoice. We're going to look at six reasons for joy in the midst of trials. Number one, our inheritance is guaranteed. That's from verses 3 through 5 that we spent a great deal of time in last week, so we won't belabor that point anymore. But keep in mind that that is the basis upon which everything else is built. Is our salvation? Is Christ's resurrection from the dead? It's that we have a living hope. It's that we are being kept according to God's power, not our own. And it's with that that he says, in this you rejoice. Number two, trials are temporary. Look at what he says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now for a little while. Now remember, Peter doesn't hear doesn't mean little while the way that our ears probably hear it. It's not meaning, you know, 30 more minutes or perhaps a few more days or a few more weeks. Peter instead has a bird's eye view looking at the grand scheme of things. He's got in mind eternity. In light of eternity, if you live to be 100 years old and every last day of your life is riddled with suffering, when you cross over into eternity, it will have only been for a little while that you suffered. In relation to eternity, suffering is just a little while. I want to take a moment to talk about this. Please hear me today. Your life very well might be filled with pain and suffering and heartache all 
the days of your life. We are not promised ease in this lifetime. We're promised ease in the next one. We're not promised perfect health and everything's going to go great for you. You know, what we are promised is a chilling period. What we are promised is suffering. What we are promised is it will last for a little while. Even if it's your whole life long. And I can already hear, we always say, it's easier said than done. I love you enough this morning to tell you the scripture nowhere promises you a quick finish to your trials so that you can get back to normal. We're always looking for that in the midst of difficulty, aren't we? Right now, with COVID, what does everybody say? Can't wait to get back to normal. We just want the trials to end. But you know what? It's very possible that they never will. And that every day of your life is going to be hurt and pain. As Charles Spurgeon said, when trials and pain and suffering pushes your face to the ground, dear friend, worship there. Joni Erickson Tata is a great example of this. She has been a quadriplegic since 1967. She's still alive today. Since 1967, longer than I've been alive, she misjudged the depth of a lake that she was diving into and was paralyzed from the neck down. She's been paralyzed and resigned to a wheelchair ever since then. From her book called A Place of Healing, Wrestling with the Mysteries of Suffering, Pain, and God's Sovereignty, she writes, quote, Listen to this. He has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. End quote. Is your faith there this morning? That if he chooses not to heal you, but to hold you, that you will still continue to praise him and worship him and rejoice? She is rejoicing here, though she has been grieved by various trials. Justin Peters, he's a preacher and a teacher, is also another one resigned to a wheelchair. He was born with cerebral palsy. He writes in his own testimony that he went to see two so-called faith healers at the age of 16. And of that experience, he writes, quote, I was, in effect, telling God that I was not satisfied with my life. I wanted to be healed of my cerebral palsy, and I did not see it for what it was, something which, in his sovereignty, God gave me. I was seeking supposed gifts and not the giver, end quote. I bring these examples up to demonstrate that suffering might last a lifetime. Their life will never look like yours and mine. They are in wheelchairs. They need help doing everything, all day, every moment of the day. And what do they say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
this is what it looks like to rejoice, though you have been grieved by various trials. You might pray for healing, and God might choose to say no. Trials might last a lifetime. Your family might shun you for your beliefs for a lifetime. But you can rejoice anyway, knowing this is only for a little while. You see, when you don't experience joy in the midst of trials, what you are doing is hoping in this life, not the next. When your hope is in the next life, then you can rejoice no matter what goes on. What did Paul say? 2 Corinthians 4, he calls our afflictions light and momentary. Light and momentary. In Romans 8.18, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. James 4.14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Peter, James, Paul, Justin Peters, Joni Erickson, Tata, and countless other Christians who have grabbed hold of an eternal perspective all testify that our life is short. And even if our sufferings and troubles last a lifetime, they will have only lasted but for a little while. When you live from a worldly perspective, trials and suffering will make you miserable. You will not have joy in the midst of trials. You'll constantly be sad and upset and worried and frustrated and confused and downright miserable. But you and I must take hold of this eternal perspective displayed for us in this text. As Jonathan Edwards said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs so that everything I see is through the lens of eternity. The hope of eternity will well up in our hearts until it overflows in rejoicing. What's more, number three, is that suffering is necessary. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Jesus tells his disciples, and you know this passage in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have peace tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world our hope is not here church in nothing in your health in your money in your job in your family it's not here it's all in the resurrected Christ In Acts 14, we find an account of Paul being stoned for preaching the gospel. They drag him out of the city because they thought that they killed him. The disciples come out to him, and he gets up and leaves the city the next day. And then he and Barnabas return after some time back to the city where he was stoned. And that's where we find this statement in Acts 14, 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying... That through many 
tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying? I know y'all were worried that I was stoned and that you thought I was dead. But it has to be this way. It has to. It has long been said that the streets of heaven are paved with gold. I don't know that for certain. I've never seen them. But what I can tell you for sure is that the road to heaven is paved with trials and tribulations. But it is a necessary chilling period for you and for me. Number four, trials come in all shapes and sizes. Notice what he says. You have been grieved by various trials. This is just ambiguous enough that we know that he isn't only talking about persecution. Because so often what we can do is read the Bible and say, well, I don't go through those things. This doesn't apply to me. But you and I have been through various trials, have we not? We certainly have. They are various. They are many. There is all sorts and kinds. There is little problems, the minor frustrations of your day-to-day. And there is really big, overwhelming, soul-crushing trials. There's all kinds. Persecution is obviously in view here as that's the most immediate type of trial they are facing. And make no mistake, you and I, if we intend to live a faithful Christian life, we will experience various forms of persecution. It might not be government-sanctioned where we're hauled off to prison and beheaded. Maybe it will. It might just be that people stop calling you might just be that no one really wants to be around you anymore. It might just be that, well, I didn't sign up for all this Jesus stuff. When did you get so Jesus-y? Those are various trials. Sometimes grief can feel downright debilitating. And other times it just puts you in a bad mood. This is a reminder of James 1 Verse 2, isn't it? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There's all kinds of trials. And if we were to poll the room, I am sure that not one person in here would be able to say, no, I'm not experiencing any kind of trial whatsoever right now. We've all got something going on. Everyone does, always, because this world is broken. Our bodies are perishing. Everything in this world is perishing. But we can count it joy because our hope's not here. Both James and Peter have the same idea in why we are to rejoice in the midst of trials of various kinds. Look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ this is a statement of purpose here is the reason your suffering 
and you're going through various trials, being grieved by them is necessary. Understand, it's necessary. You need it. You need trials. You need suffering. You need to be hurt. You need to feel pain and anguish in this lifetime. Why? So your faith will prove to be genuine. It is necessary because this faith is more precious than gold. Gold has always been through the ages viewed as the most precious metal. Yes, it doesn't experience tarnishing from the elements. You can dig up gold coins from ancient civilizations and clean them off and they're still gold coins and they're still very valuable today. But your faith Peter says, is more precious than that. Why? Gold doesn't get you into heaven. Your faith will. Your faith in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Gold won't get you through trials. Gold is not a reason to rejoice in the midst of trials. You know what is? Is it knowing your faith will soon bear fruit. Herein we come to our fifth lesson learned about trials. The trials prove a genuine faith. I love that Peter includes that parenthetical statement about faith, that it's more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire. Gold undergoes great testing and purification. We've talked about in our study on, in James on Wednesday nights about the process of refining the refiner's fire and how the fire is burning up this metal and causing it to melt. And the purpose of this is not just to burn gold. It's to bring forth the impurities and remove them to purify the gold and to make it pure and precious and valuable. But you know what else you need to know about that process is that if you were to put fool's gold in there, it would burn up. And it would prove to not be real gold. And so are the trials and suffering that we face. They prove whether or not you really believe. Do you believe this stuff? Do you believe you're supposed to rejoice? Do you believe your inheritance is secure? Do you believe that no one can pluck you from the hand of Jesus Christ? You live like it. We know that without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11.6. We know that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things that you don't see, Hebrews 11.1. And we know that we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Ephesians 2.8. We also know that a false faith, or a faith that fails is not worth anything. He likens faith here to valuable, precious gold that will stand the testing of the elements just like a real, pure, genuine faith will. It'll outlast the fire. It'll outlast time and corrosive elements. It'll outlast being buried in the dirt for hundreds and hundreds of years. But a tested 
Genuine faith is more precious. It's more valuable than that. Well, just like gold is forged in the flames of a furnace and so is purified and proven to be genuine, so is our faith tested in the furnace of affliction. Isaiah 48.10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Proverbs 17.3, The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. And the Lord tests the heart. Job says, when he has tested me, I will come forth more precious than gold. I don't know about you, but I want that. I don't want a faith that burns up in the fire. I want a faith that clings to Christ and his promises no matter what is going on around me. A false faith finds its finish in the flames of affliction. As D.L. Moody said, a faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. Christian, understand, trials must come, suffering must come, sorrows must come, so that your faith will be proven to be genuine. After all, we walk by faith, not by sight. So don't look at the troubles that have fallen upon you and allow the difficulty to rob you of your joy and take your eyes off of eternity. Look beyond the hurt, the pain, the persecution, the trials, the troubles, the turmoil to the great inheritance that lies beyond the horizon of this life. Look at whatever it is you face with a smile, knowing it is producing something in you. You see, the world faces affliction, faces trial and suffering. What do they say? Why do bad things happen to good people? But as Christians, we know that's only happened once, and it happened to Christ. Because he's the only good one. And everything that I have in my life is an act of incredible mercy and grace upon from God's hand. So if he chooses for my life to bestow upon me suffering after suffering after suffering, will you and I be like Job who said, blessed be the name of the Lord. He has given and he has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Don't let your only prayer in the midst of suffering, be that God would bring it to an end. Don't let your only prayer in the midst of trials and suffering of various kinds be, God, just make it stop. Because you can know it's only going to last a little while. And it's producing something in you. Instead, let's change our prayers to, God, help me to learn the lesson you're showing me. Help my faith to last and be proven genuine and work your perfect will in my life however you see fit. If that means you ground me to powder, blessed be the name of the Lord. One day, your perseverance will result in praise. 
Look at the end of verse 7. That it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is number six. Our testing turns to praise. Referring to the day when we see Christ in his fullness, Peter tells his readers that attested genuine faith will result in receiving praise and glory and honor from God himself. This doesn't mean you will be deified and that God's going to worship you. That's not what this means. But you know what it does mean is that you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You know what that is? That's praise. That's honor. From no one less than God himself. Not from men. This is praise from God himself, your creator, the sovereign one whose hand of providence is the only reason why you're there to begin with, that he would look at you and say, even though it's been his power that held you until the end, will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to hear those words. I don't know about you. That we would live in such a way that that's what we would hear. There are great rewards that await us if we faint not. Let's look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We know from our lesson this past Wednesday in James that these tests we go through also are proving our love for the Lord. So it is only natural that Peter would take us here, that though you have not seen him, you love him. How is that being proven? By the fact that you rejoice in the midst of your trials, that your faith is being proven genuine. I love you, Lord. Somehow you love him and you believe in him, even though you've never laid eyes upon him. There's a very real mystery to this, isn't there? You love the one you do not see. You believe in him to the extent that you are able and willing to rejoice in the midst of trials and suffering. Jesus spoke of the day when this would happen. In John chapter 20, Thomas often referred to as old Doubting Thomas, one of those characters who always receives our condemnation, though we are just like him. He says of the resurrected Savior, I'll believe whenever I see it. The disciples were all saying, we've seen him. We've seen him. He rose from the dead like he said he would. And Thomas said, I don't think so. Unless I touch the holes in his hands that were pierced and put my finger in his side, then I'll believe. And aren't you and I just like that? If I could see him, then I would really believe in him. If you would just give me a sign, then I would really believe in you, God. And he's like, I did. I rose from the grave. You're alive. You've been born again. You have my Holy Spirit within you. What more do you need? And Jesus said, 
when Thomas finally saw him. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. We've not seen and we believe. Again, we walk by faith, not by sight. John ends this chapter saying, that chapter in John chapter 20, saying that all of this was written so that you'd believe that Jesus is the Christ. What does that mean? This is all you need. This is where you build your life. When trials come and they shake up your brain and you are depressed and you're anxious and you're scared and you're heartbroken, don't go anywhere else except for right here. God, you've promised, your word says, your word says that you will keep me until the end. I need this right now, God. My heart's broken. I'm scared. I'm worried, God. Please help me to believe this. I believe. Help my unbelief. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What's more is that your love for God is only further evidence of your being reborn by God. Romans 5.5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Your life of sin and rebellion and rejection of God. The moment that heart met the grace of God. His spirit was poured into you. Making all things new. Pouring his love into your heart. You believe because he's caused you to believe. You love him because he first loved you and poured his love into your heart. Peter brings us back to that word, doesn't he? Rejoice. He says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. What else do you rejoice with if not joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith? After all, with so great a salvation... With so undeserved a mercy and unmerited a grace, with so freely a love bestowed, with so sovereign a hand, how could you not rejoice in him? If the knowledge of God's unmerited love and favor being fixed upon you since before the foundations of the earth isn't enough to grab your attention and stir your affections, my friend, you must revisit Calvary. You must remember the great weight of your sin and the great price paid for you. You must remember that it should have been you on the cross, dying under the wrath of God, but instead your great great high priest died in your place. But if the cares of this world are too heavy for you to lift your head to behold 
this wondrous sight and rejoice in it. Listen, you care far too much about this world. My prayer for you would be that the flames of affliction would melt away the dross of caring so deeply about this life. After all, Jesus told us that if we wanted to follow him, we must deny ourselves. If you want to follow him, you must take up your cross. What happened whenever Jesus took up his cross? We're told that for the joy set before him, he endured. When you do this, when you focus your attention heavenward, when your mind is so set on things above, you rejoice in this great salvation we have. We rejoice because we love him and believe in him. It is because we believe in him and because we love him, whom we believe in, that the thought of having a great inheritance kept in heaven, the thought of receiving glory and honor and praise from him, the thought of being proven genuine stirs up our affections in such a way that our joy is inexpressible. There are no words to describe joy in the midst of all the trials and the suffering we face. Finally, verse 9, a genuine faith receives its reward in the salvation of our souls. We are saved the moment we first put our trust in Christ alone. And yet there is a day where we will receive the fullness of our salvation. We will be saved from this world of hurting, from this body of sin and suffering, from the carnage that is found in this world. We will be saved finally, totally, completely. We will be saved from eternal judgment and we will receive our rewards in that moment, church. Every last millisecond of suffering you endured in this lifetime will all be worth it. Every slanderous word spoken of you through persecution, every sickness, every late night of sleeplessness, every moment of wrestling in prayer, every single tear you've shed, every bit of weight of grief we have experienced, everything, all of it will have all been worth it we will truly see that our troubles really only lasted a little while. Amen. Hebrews 13, 14. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Amen. I don't know what will happen to me. I don't know what will happen to you. I don't know what trials and troubles await us. What I do know is that the eternity beyond the troubles is cause for hope. What I do know is that the troubles and trials will fortify our faith and so prove it to be genuine. And what I do know is that that is enough reason for you and I to rejoice right now and in the midst of any future trials. Because when we look at this life through the lens of eternity, we will see we ought to rejoice in the here and now because of the sufferings of the here and now are only for a little while. Let's stand.
I'm going to say a word of prayer, and we're going to have your time to respond to the Lord, however he's stirring in your heart. We're going to play a song. You can sing, you can pray, and then Michael will come up and do our doxology and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Oh, sovereign God, we praise you this morning, Lord. And we confess, Lord, that our frail humanity makes it so difficult to rejoice when we suffer. But Lord, we know that by your spirit and by your power that you make it possible for this to happen. And we want to be those kinds of Christians, the kinds of Christians who are not set on the things of this world, but that our minds are set on things above. The kind of people who look at this life through the lens of eternity, the kind of people who do all that we do for the glory of God. We pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.